Most of you all have a Spotify account, I'm assuming, or some sort of musical uh, way to create playlists on your phone. And if you have any skill at all, and I just have a little bit, so it only takes a little bit, you create your own playlist. And you have one for different moods. You know, if you're going to go running, you have one. If you're going to uh, do some yard work, maybe you have one. If you're trying to study, you know, you have one. You have all kinds of different playlists that you, you, you have a certain thing happening at that moment, and you just sort of dial into the songs on that playlist. Maybe you have one for your favorite, favorite decade which is 75 to 85. That is the best music, just letting you know. question I have this morning is what songs are on your playlist when your soul is in a hole? What do you sing when you feel like life circumstances have sucked your soul down into a dark cave? I'd like to add a couple of David's songs to your playlist this morning. And first I want you to just keep your finger at Psalm 51, but turn to Psalm 57. And notice the beginning of it. This is a, a song to the choir master according to Do Not Destroy. This is some familiar tune. It's from David when he fled from Saul and lived in a cave. So when life circumstances have come upon you, when something has come from the outside and pushed you into a cave, what do you sing? Well, Psalm 57. That's what you sing. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. See, my soul's getting stuffed down into this dark cave, and I'm looking for a different refuge. I'm looking for a different shadow. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Something's happening from the outside onto me. And what do I sing when I'm in that kind of cave? Psalm 57. Same could be said, and we won't take time to look at it, Psalm 142. These are the songs that you sing when something has happened to you, and you feel like those things have pushed your soul into a dark cave. But what do you sing when you thrust yourself into a dark cave. Just a little different. You wake up one day and everything's shutting down from COVID and you've got to make adjustments. That's coming from the outside towards you and you've got to make your personal adjustments, your family adjustments, your financial adjustments. These are outside circumstances and we've been through that storm and tried to ask ourselves, what do we sing? But what do we sing when we are the storm? We've thrust ourselves into our own cave. When you've sucked yourself down into a dark hole. Again, David provides a song for that playlist. That's Psalm 51. 2 Samuel chapter 11, David foolishly dug a deep hole from his own desires that he couldn't control. And he finds himself in this hole when he gets exposed by the prophet Nathan. You remember, you are the man. little background, David had sexually forced himself onto Bathsheba when then he discarded her as an object, not a person. And then she became pregnant. So he tried a number of different ways to try to cover it up. It didn't work, and eventually he killed 
her husband Uriah and then married Bathsheba, hoping nobody would keep up with the nine months and know what had happened. Then in a very powerful confrontation, chapter 12, Nathan, God mercifully sends somebody to David and said, I'm not going to let you live in the darkness of your own sin. It's a hard thing, but it's a merciful thing when somebody brings your sin out into the light. And I just kept wondering, when Nathan walks out of the king's palace, David's all by himself, what does he say right then? Is there something to sing at that point? See, that's a dark moment. You've got to have words for that moment. And they won't be words that you just conjure up in your head because those probably won't be fruitful or helpful. And this is a song everyone here needs to know. Because everyone here has thrust their soul into a dark cave. So David gives us help here in Psalm 51 on how we begin to make progress out of this dark cave. And I'm going to mention just four things. It's such a rich psalm. So many things could be said. A cry for forgiveness. These all begin with a C, so it might be helpful. A cry for forgiveness, a confession of sin, a call for cleansing, and a commitment to be changed by God. A cry, a confession, a call, a commitment. First, a cry of forgiveness. You see it in verse 1 and 2, have mercy, his very first words. It's very critical to understand, so everybody needs to listen. The first step of you getting out of the cave is to realize you can't even take the first step. That ha- that's the only way you're going to get out of the cave. If you start by thinking, I can get myself part way out, or I can somehow crawl out, or time is going to heal all wounds, or anything like that, you're not going to get out. So the very first step when you thrust yourself down into this dark cave is to say, I'm broken. And I can't even take, take one step. That's what mercy is. You're, you're, gonna, you're asking for something you don't deserve. Would you give me mercy? Would, would somebody come down in this hole and pick me up because I can't even get myself to the standing position? Have mercy. And notice, very importantly, notice what he's hoping God operates according to. I'm I'm hoping there's some resources, as David's calling out to God, according to, and notice what he doesn't say, according to my past heroics. God, remember me because I killed Goliath. See, that that could be a very easy thing to say is, now you see what that is? That's part of self-justification. That's part of you believing you can take a step. And so you offer up some sort of good gifts in the past to say, would you you be kind to me because I have done these things? See, that's not going to get you out of the cave. Have mercy on me according to God's steadfast love. Now that is a rock. That's a rock that you need to have slid underneath you. 
You're not sliding a rock underneath your own soul. You need God to slide his rock according to his steadfast love, according to his abundant mercy. The only thing David has to offer here is brokenness. See it in verse 16 and 17. There's no sacrifices David can give, or he said he he would have offered them. To get out of this dark cave, he's got to find some kind of resource outside of himself. That's going to come from God. There's this little news feed that I look at occasionally, and it has these kind of interesting 20-minute biographies. They're very random. And this one I watched this past week was on a lady that I did not remember. She was very popular in the 80s, Louisa Hay. Probably you wouldn't remember her, but she was just a pop person in the 80s. She made it on Oprah and some other talk shows. And she was a very popular self-help guru. Very winsome sort of in her style. And uh, she was talking at some point in this little video biography to a bunch of broken people. And she said this, and I quote, I know a lot of people here are looking for a savior. The place to look is right here. And when she says that, she pulls out of like a pocket a mirror. I know a lot of people are looking for a savior. The place to look is the mirror. She takes this mirror and she kneels down in front of a young man and she says, this is your savior. That's foolishness. If you're self-destructing, you're not going to get yourself back out. And you may say, hey, that's the 80s. Hey, this gets repackaged every generation. That somehow you look in the mirror and you believe something about who you are, of what you've done or what you could do in the future. Something is your offering as the first step. And David is clearly helping us to say the first step is just to say, I can't take the first step. That's extremely hard for sinful people to do. But that's the first step. Second, he has a confession of sin. You see it there in verses 3 through 6. And what's interesting about these verses when he's confessing his, his sin is he intensifies his sin. I don't know about you, but you get, I get caught in sin. What's my first reaction? Oh, you think that's bad. Well, it's really bad. No, that's not what I try to do. Uh, well, and then what happens? rationalization justification well if this and it's not so bad because i mean i've I've got boy i've got a great library of those kinds of things but david does something very opposite very necessary for us to know in order to get out of this cave as he intensifies his own sin my sin is ever before me verse three It's rolling around in my mind. I'm like a loop. I see it from every angle. I I couldn't see everything before, but now it's it's in the forefront of my mind, and I'm I'm beginning to see just how much damage I've done. It's not just sort of towards one person. It's, It's much bigger than this, and so I've put it in the forefront of my mind so I can just see how ugly it is. 
I don't want to minimize it. I don't want to like sweep it under the carpet. I want to bring it out and I want to put the spotlights on it so I can see how destructive my behavior is. That's going to help me move in a different direction. Verse 4. Against you, you only, have I sinned. Now, of course, David knows he's sinned against Bathsheba. He's sinned against Uriah. He's sinned against their parents. He's sinned against his army general. He's sinned against the whole nation. He understands this. But what he's trying to say here, what we need to understand from this is, the only reason I did those things, God, is because I first walked away from you. It's like everything else is a symptom of walking away. And so, Lord, I'm just coming to the, 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 the first step in this tragedy. And that was I walked away from you. And when I walked away from you, I had capacities inside of me I never believed would come out. But because you weren't there to help me, to guide me, to, to encourage me, because of my own willfulness to walk away. And then notice what he calls it. He calls it evil. See, it's so, so easy, is it not, to say, well, I have a weakness. It's not, if it's sin, it's not a weakness. It's wickedness. Well, it was an accident. It's an atrocity. See, this, it's helpful when you're speaking to yourself to get the right language down. Because even in your language, you could minimize, you could rationalize, and David say, no, you got to intensify it so you really see it for what it is. This is how you really, once and for all, get out of the cave. Verse 5, interesting verse. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. This, feels, this started to feel like blame shifting. It's my mother's fault. Verse 5, that's kind of how you might read that. And that's not how it's meant to be read. Uh, Derek Kidner, a great commentator on the Psalms, says this, The crime of murder David now sees was not a freak event. It was in his character. An extreme expression of the wayward and warped creature he had always been. See, when he goes back to his birth, he's saying, Really, I've been this way the whole time. And before they were just little seeds, but now I've got a forest of sin. So you see how he's intensifying it? It's not just, hey, I'm 60 years old and I've had a discretion. No, I, I've, I've had this in my soul and I've somehow either been able to keep a lid on it or I've done the right things, hopefully, but, so these seeds haven't grown. But they've been there all along. I now can see that in a different way. Jesus really says the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it say, said, you shall not murder. But what does he say? See, he intensifies it. Remember that? If you're angry with your brother in your heart, then you're, you're liable to go to hell. And I'm like, whoa, Jesus. I mean, at least I'm not saying it. Well, is it in your heart, Paul? Well, yeah, I mean, it's in your heart, but nobody knows it. Oh, I know it. You've heard it said you should not commit adultery. Well, I haven't done that. But I tell you, everyone who looks lustfully, uh, hold on. You see, that's what Jesus is telling his disciples and telling us. These little things that you want to minimize. 
are these dark seeds that David now has seen has bloomed in this terrible forest. He's not rationalizing it away. It's, he's just seeing himself aright. After this confession, he has a call for cleansing, not surprisingly. Purge. Purge, that's a good word. Purge. In the dictionary, it says a sudden and often violent removal of something unwanted. It's got to be a purge. After David's cry for mercy, he intensifies his sin. He cries for God's purging. And he talks about it. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. It's a reference to Leviticus 14. The tribe of Levi, 12 tribes of Israel, one tribe were the priests. They were the people who were the pastors and worked in the church, the temple. And uh, Leviticus is basically like the playbook for the priests. How do we live as priests and deal with this congregation, the Israelites? And in chapter 14, the title of this is Laws for Cleansing of Lepers. So leprosy is going to go around. People are going to get healed by it. How do you bring them back into the corporate body? This is chapter 14 of Leviticus. And how it would be done, we won't read it, but you can read it for yourself later. The priest would take two birds. He would drain, he would kill one bird and drain the blood out of the bird. And he would take hyssop. Think about little reeds. Kind of broomstick reed. Dip it into the blood. And he would sprinkle it on the leper. And he would do it seven times. And he'd say, be clean, be clean, be clean. Seven times. So everybody knew this person is clean. And then as they stepped back into the community, they took the other bird and set him free. To say, you're set free now. Someone has died for your being able to be set free. David borrows this language because he knows he need, he's a spiritual leper. He needs a high priest to set him free. Now, he doesn't have our vantage point, but we know who he's going to call out to. Do you not? Jesus. Jesus is going to be the high priest, but he's also going to be the bird. He's going to give of his own blood to set us free, to set David free from our own dark cave. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. It's hard for us because we live in a very sanitized culture. But you should know every time you eat, something had to die in order for you physically to stay alive. Every time. The same is true spiritually. What's true in about 45 minutes from now for most of you, when you're sitting down and eating something, something had to give its life, plant or animal, in order for you to physically stay alive. Jesus had to give his life for you in order for you and I to spiritually stay alive. Ephesians 1.7, through the blood of Jesus we are set free. 
set free, just like that bird. Finally, really an important point, and I don't have time for a commitment to be changed by God. Verses 12, 10 and through 12, a commitment. You've got to write this one down correctly because you might say a commitment to change, and that's not what I'm saying. A commitment to be changed by God. See, an easy sermon ending is, okay, you've, uh, you've cried out for mercy. You uh, understand your brokenness. You've intensified your sin. You see it. You've asked for God's cleansing. And now, by golly, I'm going to go back and do better. That's not the gospel. That's not the way out of the cave. You do that, you're going to stay in the cave. Notice all the verbs. Create, renew, cast, take, restore, uphold. Who's doing all those actions? Verse 10. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. What? Oh God, I can't self-clean. I'm not self-cleaning. I need somebody from the outside. Renew a right spirit in me, O oh God. Cast me not away, O oh God. Take, up, take not your Holy Spirit from me, O oh God. Restore to me, O oh God. See, David is spiritually deformed because of his sin. You might say he's turned into a monster. And in order to get spiritually reformed, it's not something he can do for himself. Familiar verses, Romans 8, be conformed to the likeness of the Son. 1 Corinthians 3, be transformed into Jesus' likeness from one degree of glory to another. But you and I cannot spiritually form ourselves into the image of Jesus Christ. The best we can do is make ourselves available for his transforming work. That's the best we can do. Is to go make ourselves available to God's transforming work. In case you don't realize that, that's very difficult to do. It seems like it should be easy because you don't have to go do something. But when you're a person of control, it's hard to give up control of your own formation. You and I tend to think, I've got this. I have my little three-year-old. He's here, Daniel, for the weekend. We're walking down the steps, and he's just at the stage, you know, where he thinks he can walk on his own. And so we're walking down some steps yesterday morning. I said, well, let's hold hands. I can do it myself. And, of course, I want him to be able to do it himself because he's going to be holding my hand pretty soon for my sake. But see, in this way, you see what's formed in his soul? If I get smart enough, I can do it myself. You can't, you can't do this yourself. Not going to get out of the cave yourself. One quote in a book that I'm reading, spiritual formation is the great reversal. Listen, from acting to bring about the desired results in our lives from acting 
to bring about the desired results in our lives, to being acted upon by God. Our part is to offer ourselves to God in ways that enable God to do that transforming work of grace. Let me just end with two illustrations that may be helpful, and I've used them both. This summer, at some point, you're going to say, I'm going to the beach to work on my tan. Now think about that. How much work do you actually do? I mean, the work is getting to the beach, finding a parking space maybe, unfolding your chair in the wind. I mean, these are work. But you don't work to get a tan. You sit still. You place yourself in front of an object that can change the color of your skin. But you don't work. You give up working to actually work on your tan. So it is with spiritual transformation. You give up working. And you sit before the Lord and say, Lord, I can't, I just can't change my complexion. I need some help from the outside. That's going to be you. My favorite book of the Chronicles of Narnia is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And I like it because I like stories about a journey. And that's what this is. Uh, these kids get called, as you know, from out of England into this fictional world called Narnia. And they're, they get on a ship and they spend the whole book on a ship with these different adventures. And one of the boys that gets called out of England is named Eustace, and he's really a pill, most of the whole book. Irritating, bratty, whiny, lazy. And Lewis does a great job of really making you not like Eustace at all. And they come upon this island that that, um, they have to do some repairs to the ship, and Eustace doesn't want to do any repairs, so he crawls away and ends up falling into this cave that has a lot of jewels And, of course, he thinks, I can take these jewels back. And in in his greed and grabbing the jewels, he turns into a monster. He turns into a dragon. In an effort to take things for himself, he turned into a monster. See, this is not different than David. I don't know if Lewis was thinking about this, but it's a perfect parallel. His only hope is to meet the Christ figure, Aslan, the great lion. And he does in one particular chapter, and let me read you a couple of paragraphs. I saw the lion, and he told me I must undress. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on, when suddenly I thought that dragons are snaky sort of things. Snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course I thought. That's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself. Scales began to come off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper, and instead of just scales coming off here and there, a whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness or if I was a banana. Children's book. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling. So I started to go down into the well for my bath, but just as I was going down to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that there were were all hard and tough and wrinkled and scaly, just like they had been before. Oh, that's right, I said. It only means I have a, another smaller suit 
underneath the first one. So I began to scratch and get out of this one. And when I went down for my bath, well, exactly the same thing happened again and again. And I thought to myself, oh dear, however many sins have I got to take off myself? For I was longing to bathe my leg that had this uh, jewel around it. So I scratched away a third time and got off the third skin, but the same thing happened. And then the lion said to me, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. Such such a perfect picture. The very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling it peel off. Well, he peeled off the beastly stuff, all right. Just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only it hadn't hurt. You see what happens when you're in charge of your own spiritual formation? You don't hurt yourself. You don't get to the heart. You get to a little symptom. I'm not going to look at this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to say this anymore. And Jesus is like, yeah, but that's not the problem. The problem is I need to get my claw all the way down in your heart and do something you would and could not do for yourself. So much more could be said here. Psalm 51 needs to be on your playlist. Because you have, you will, some of you are in a dark cave that you have put yourself in. And there is a way to get out. It's a cry for mercy. Just to say, I can't even take the first step. I have to have God come in all the way. A confession of your sin. You see it clearly. You call out to God for cleansing. And then the commitment you make is a commitment that you're willing to be changed by God. Let's pray together. Lord, This psalm, so powerful, so helpful, so necessary, because we're like David, we're like Eustace, we we grab hold of things, thinking that their life and their death. So I just pray that this song would reverberate in our soul, help us know how to get out of this cave by your mercy and grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.